0: Hi, and welcome back to the How to Decorate podcast from Ballard Designs. We want to teach you how to decorate your home and unleash your inner decorator. So we'll be interviewing interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world, sharing the trials and triumphs of our own homes, and also answering your decorating questions. I'm Caroline. I run the Ballard Designs blog, How to Decorate. And I'm Taryn. I'm on the product design team at Ballard. And I'm Karen, and I head up branding at Ballard. And we're your hosts. Hi. Hey, so our guest today is Joy Moyler. She is an interior designer in LA, but she does projects all over the world. And I have to say, I am a little starstruck right now. You're an award-winning interior designer. You're on the Eldecourt's A-list. Um, your client roster is celebrity royalty, a little bit of actual royalty. You have an amazing... Just...
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually based in New York. I'm from New York and based in New York but I've spent oh, a lot a of des- time in California. I'm based in New York, yeah. Oh, okay, I didn't Sorry realize that. Sorry about that, yeah. No, no, I'm in glad you corrected you got me. you too, too deep without having to correct it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you are working on a luxury golf resort in Moscow. You do projects in Paris, London, Italy. You have a Bachelor of Science in Architecture, but you- and you, and you really started in traditional architecture um, in the early years of your career, but you've transitioned to interior design. You worked for Ralph Lauren designing their showrooms, John Saladino, Terry Despot. You were the head designer for Giorgio Armani's interior design studio. When you, I'm like out of breath even just reading all of it. But um, working with John Mayer, Leo DiCaprio, Adrian Brody. I mean, truly looking through your body of work blew my mind and I'm just so excited that you're here to chat with us, thank you.
1: That's why I'm tired, (laughs) I'm tired all the time, (laughs) yeah, I mean. As you deserve to be. You can imagine, it's it's a lot of traveling, which I absolutely love. Uh, I love that my projects are very, very diverse because it gives me an opportunity to do different things because I bore rather easily. Uh, So it's a really nice opportunity to work on residential projects, hospitality projects uh and retail projects as well and um I've been very lucky because I've had the blessings of working with some truly magical firms uh who have afforded me an opportunity to work on a diverse style of projects And early in my career, learn on someone else's dime, (laughs) you know, and and I find that many design students are so anxious to jump out there very quickly and start their own businesses. But I have found that truly working for other firms has been uh, one of the biggest blessings of my life.
2: And are you paying it forward with young people in your firm as well, training them up in the way they should go?
1: Oh, I mean, absolutely. I've been mentoring people since the day I got into this business. Uh, Rather, since the day I started making the least amount of mistakes and felt that, you know, it was a good time to start sharing what I'd learned. Uh, And I've always had interns, and I've always mentored students. And I'm not a parent, but i I'm blessed to say that I have put a couple of kids through college um, who I really believed in because they weren't of financial means to do that. So that's, you know, I feel that that's that's Mm -hmm. something that I was able to do by working a lot of hours at different firms and putting in a lot of overtime, uh, not just to bless myself, but to bless someone else.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, You know, what struck me about your portfolio is just, it's a study in contrast. There are so many um, rooms that have a very modernist kind of approach, you know, serene, um, simple. And then there's so many very layered, more traditional spaces too. And um, so I... I was curious how that, like, why is it that that contrast and a lot of it in the same rooms too, you know, sometimes it's a different project that's more layered. Sometimes it's more simple, but then sometimes they're combined. And how does that, why does that contrast work so well?
1: Well, I I find it um, crucial to listen to a client uh, without being dogmatic about what you think that they should have. And some clients tend to rely uh, upon the comfort of simplicity, while others respond very well to a layering. Uh, I would let the architecture sort of dictate what's present. I don't put a bunch of traditional items in a contemporary residence because it's very sort of disturbing to my eye, I think. Uh, But I really do follow the lead. So if there's a client who travels extensively and loves to collect, I make certain that those pieces that they've discovered and love are present because what makes you feel better than, you know, reliving a wonderful moment, right? Uh, So I think that's really important to do. Um, So I definitely want to provide wall space to clients who collect art uh, because, I mean, we spend so much time running around pad and freeze and, you know, looking at Christie's and Sotheby's auctions. You know, you want to be able to present a quiet space, not gallery like, but a quiet space that truly allows you an opportunity to have distance between yourself and the artwork to truly appreciate it. Uh, and then there are clients who love just layering things. And I, I'm also very respectful for um, to clients who have uh, acquired pieces or heirloom pieces from family, uh, because I like to ask that question very early on. Are there pieces that you absolutely insist on keeping in your home? I want to know about those pieces very early on, because I don't want to design a room and place objects and furnishings in the room for, you know, me to walk out the door and two weeks later, you know, grandma's old curio has ended up, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, on the prime wall in a dining room. I want to be able to uh, give honor to those pieces very, very early on uh, and make sure that they have a place. So I I like to make sure that I do that before I start uh, placing anything else and sourcing anything else for the home. So that's why there's such a versatility. And I've worked for Skin Morrowings and Merrill, which are absolute modernists. So that's where my modern layer comes from. And then of course, Saladino and Terry Despont are very, very layered firms that I've also been informed by. Uh, So it's nice to, I don't, as a result, have a particular style, because again, one of the benefits of working for different firms is that you absorb a lot of that mentality. And I'm able to use those various montali- mentalities and various projects. And I enjoy it. Again, I get bored quickly. So if I'm working on a modern project, I also have an opportunity to work on something a little bit more transitional or more classic. And and I just really enjoy it.
0: Mm-hmm. How did well, you... Oh, yeah. <laughs> How did you transition through your career so seamlessly through those different firms? You know, to for such a different look, how were you able to um, kind of take that on?
1: Yeah. Well, I my first job in in college was uh, working for the New York Times, and I was working uh, with a gentleman there who was the in house designer, and through him, I started working uh, with the home. Section which came out on Thursdays and started, you know, running around getting a lot of books for Paul Goldberger, who is the architectural critic, and started just picking up all these books of Skidmore, Owens, and Merrill and that sort of thing. And so, when I graduated school, I really just sort of ran, you know, to their office and started leaving my resume. And, like, I think (laughs) the second time within two weeks, you know, they called me back and I went there for an interview and I was ended up being there for two and a half years. It was probably the hardest, one of the hardest jobs I've ever had in my life, because at the time, you know, it was the eighties and there was lots of money to be spent. And there were so many projects in the office, it was ridiculous. And it was pre-CAD to date myself and all (laughs) these drawings were done by hand. And I mean, I spent at least a year and a half working there till three o'clock in the morning. A car would take me home, get a disco nap <laughs> and be back at my desk by 830 the next morning wow. to do it all again. So all of the uh, people that I work with, my colleagues became my family because that's who we ever saw. So when I left Skinmore Owings and I still have bags under my eyes from those days. You know, I went to uh, Cone, Pettison, Fox, which wasn't very, very far off from SOM. From there, I went to Revlon uh, doing in-house design and Fell in love with packaging there uh, because I was helping out on photo shoots and helping the creative people working on things because I was always, what are you doing? What are you doing? What do you do? So I always, you know, had a love of fashion and beauty and interior design. And to me, they've always gone together. But this is a very, very long way of answering your question, of course, to say that. I just, you know, whenever I would open a magazine, I would look at House and Garden Magazine and fall in love with traditional projects. And I would look at, you know, Metropolitan Home Magazine and, you know, <sighs> just fall in love with the images. And so I was always planning ahead and saying, okay, you know how these projects go. These firms are very project-based. So when a project would end, they typically scale down staff. So you always had to sort of have a short list about uh, dream firms where you wanted to go next. So when something ended at one place, i you know, go to another. And then I landed at Ralph Lauren, who is the home of lifestyle, the quintessential guru of lifestyle. And within those walls of creative services and store design, we're able to work on just styles upon styles of traditional to contemporary, to beach, to ranch, to mountain, everything under the sun. So that was I mean, just sort of everything. So within the flagship stores, you walk into men's and it's this beautiful mahogany and wools and plaids and flannels. And then you, you know, ascend the stairs to women's collection, which is all white and limestone. And, you know, and you go into another space and it's mountain and you think you're in Colorado. And. It's I mean, what could be better than that? So you're working on all these various styles and constant rotating influences, which which change within six months of one another. And so I stayed there for seven years because it was the culmination of everything under the sun. But I only left there because I wanted to do more residential work or I would still be there at this very moment. How
2: did you make that leap from commercial to residential?
1: It was just something that I just really wanted to do. I said, okay, you know, I wanted something that was just a little bit more personal. And, ooh, it's residential personal, right? You have to know where, you know, the lady likes to keep her things. And you learn to know that in every residential project that I do, I like to use a particular manufacturer of medicine cabinet because there's a safe in the back. And you come to know that that's typically where a lady likes to store some jewelry in the event she needs to leave town in the middle of the night and leave her husband behind, you know, <laughs> <laughs> without having to run to the bank, you know, and get some cash. Things you learn. So, I mean, it's just, you know, the long way, of course. But I, I really enjoy residential just because it's much more personal. And then how did you get this roster of superstars? Ah, uh, Giorgio Armani, uh, as the head of the interior design studio, I've, you know, worked very, very closely with the public relations department and with the esteemed Roberta Armani, who is Mr. Armani's niece. And she is the worldwide head of entertainment for the brand, and they are responsible for connecting uh, talent brand and wear the brand on red carpet and for photo shoots and that sort of thing. And I just fell in love with her and we had a great relationship. And after my years of working there, where I initially met John Mayer and Leo DiCaprio, uh, when I left, she was very open with, you know, my ability and opportunity to reach out to any of the clients who were there. Uh, so, and I also designed two apartments for her ex husband. He is now the um, client for my Portofino, Italy project, and one of my London projects as well.
2: So, so what are Leo at all doing in their houses that we're not doing in
1: ours? Uh, they're kicking mm-hmm. their feet up a lot, <laughs> they're gazing at the beach <laughs> ah. they're enjoying you know wonderful moments at home with their loved ones and these quite beautiful residences and and they're acquiring more residences mm-hmm. simply because they can are there things that are
2: in their homes that we could strive to emulate you know are they like oh they love a little
1: yeah well you know for one uh leo has the most amazing collection of vintage movie posters that I have ever seen that are Getty worthy. Uh, I mean, truly, I'm like some of the original like Charlie Chaplin posters and King Kong posters and just things like this, which are on display, uh, which are really just really beautiful. They also like to collect cars, you know, things like that. Um, John loves to rather extensive uh, watches, things like that. Guitar and, collection, maybe? Yeah, guitar collections. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He's got the zaniest uh, collection of guitars. Not that I know anything about them, but I only know their true <laughs> value when I go to pick one up, and he says, "Ah, uh, maybe touch don't that. touch that one." You know. <laughs> so it, it's, it's 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 always like, okay, can I touch this? You know.
0: So the thing that kind of fascinates me about those clients is what is like what is your timeline like how you know cuz i imagine when you are a celebrity you probably don't want to wait you know 10 to 12 months for stuff to get done or or are you comfortable with that like how how time is a luxury and when you have endless amounts of money
1: well it does isn't that just change? the money i mean typically these clients have more than one residents. I've got multiple residences. So uh, mostly they're like my Italian project. We've been working on that for two years already. It'll probably be another year because they have multiple residences to spend time in while they're waiting for this one uh, to be completed. Uh, Moscow Golf Resort Moscow winters are kind of tough, <laughs> so you can <laughs> say, oh, let's get this project done in two years, but there is a really tough winter, and you don't mm. get a lot done, and it ends up being a five-year project, uh, but there are some older garths who are supporting that project where money isn't an option, and so they can afford uh, a delay in schedule. When I started doing uh, John's house in Montana, he originally gave me something like a year and a half to do it. I was like, okay, great. You know, that's, I could, that's easy breezy, right? And he was on a tour. And four months into the project, he says, Joy, I'm coming home for three weeks. And I'm going to stay at the house. Well, the house had no furniture. So <laughs> I thought, oh, this is going to be really, really interesting. And so what i you got to think on your feet. You got to jump on a plane. You have to get hit every home goods shop. In town (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you just have to you know make sure that you get furniture that you know you're not going to be keeping that you're going Mm -hmm. to be donating it uh when the permanent furniture arrives and you pull everything together so someone feels like they're in their home and that they're comfortable of course it isn't Mm -hmm. you know the permanent pieces but you have to make sure that everything feels comfortable so maybe you go to Crate and barrel and you order, you know, the flatware set of 40 to make sure that they can, you know, prepare food and sit at a dining table and feel like a Mm -hmm. human being when they're off a road and not in a hotel, but the bed's comfortable and it's got beautiful sheets and the television works and all these other things, you know, and their family images around Mm -hmm. and just kind of make it make it work that way.
0: Sorry, and most of these projects, are you doing soup to nuts? You're doing everything from the art on the walls to the flatware and the...
1: Yes, and I really like that part. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I love it. The Somebody, control? Yeah. You like I that mean, control? I do. I like really creating a home for someone. You know, that's what I really like, creating a home for someone. Soup to nuts. I really like to... Particularly, work with people that I've worked with before, and you really, really get to know someone after they've truly been living in a residence. So, I, I'm blessed that, uh, you know, several of my clients are repeat clients. Uh, and I, I just really love that I love designing the flat where I'm now to designing my own tabletop stuff, which I'm really excited Ooh. about. Ooh. So, uh, you know, I just kind of felt like if I'm doing this for clients, well, Why don't I do it for myself as well? So I really like that. I love going to the art galleries. Uh, I love bidding. Oh, how I love bidding. I can work a paddle. You know, I really can work (laughs) a paddle at an auction. Um, You know, it's a lot of fun. And I I really enjoy the traveling aspect because it creates, you know, so much inspiration. You, You just can't source from a computer. You just can't source from you know, running mm-hmm. into a shop, you really have to travel, see what's going on. You might be inspired by a chair that's in a restaurant, you know, at some seaside bistro, you might be inspired on a trip to Stad, visiting a client, you know, snowboarding or something and something about the shape of a clamp on the boot inspires you to inject some industrial type detail into a connection of a chair, or something, you just never know where the inspiration's going to come from.
2: Well, how has COVID affected that then?
1: COVID shut everything down, I mean, yeah, right? me like everyone else. I mean, Italy shut down first. Uh, so there was just, everything just stopped, everything stopped. Things have definitely picked up in the last six weeks or so though. Uh, but even when you're not really working, you're still sourcing. I'm still organizing projects. I'm still seeking out new workrooms to do different things, uh, in different places. I, I wasn't at all sitting in front of the television, you know, just watching, <laughs> <laughs> watching, you know, renovation shows or something. Yeah, it, it definitely continued because I, I, I constantly just need to be busy. I was deep diving in a lot of upcoming uh, auctions. Uh, which Ooh. have been postponed, of course, but still continuing to source some really special items for special projects.
0: I want to ask you about your project with Adrian Brody at his dairy farm, because that really goes back to that contrast question. Because I, and maybe you can describe it a little bit to people, but it was this incredible balance between, you know, a like patinaed stone walls. An old building, but then it had almost austere um, furnishings. Yes. And the combination was just really magical. So if you could tell everyone
1: about that. That indeed was a juxtaposition. Uh, The property was one that Adrian bought online. It was a dairy farm. He bought it as a gift for himself and his love. And it was an absolute magical place. It was it's upstate New York. Um, it had a main structure and a central yard, which was the former dairy farm who'd suffered a massive fire and the entire roof structure had caved in. There were four outer buildings on the property as well. One was a guest house, another a barn, which I later, later turned into this amazing hangout space. Uh, with cushions and strung lights. And it took two weeks for us to literally dig out all the hay and everything. Uh, but the property itself is called Stone Barn. And it was an absolute, you know, I don't know, early 19th century stone barn that had been in one family for years and years and years and years. And he purchased it. And unfortunately, the stone barn itself had absolutely no electricity, no insulation, nor anything. But the obsession was to make this place a beautiful showplace and a beautiful home. And Adrian was uh, one of the faces of the Armani brand. And so I was brought in to prepare this property for this amazing photo shoot for Hello magazine. Uh, which they later gave this project 41 pages in the magazine, which was quite stupendous. But I was literally there, I think I was there on four separate trips for like two or three weeks at a time. So I practically lived there. And Adrian's family was there. And, you know, we would, you know, have, he would make us strawberry margaritas at night and we'd go for pancakes in the morning. Everybody would jump into his truck and we go for pancakes. And it was really quite the experience. And it was hot as all get out. But it was so much fun. And it was very Armani. It was all Armani, the juxtaposition of clean line geometric Armani, Makassar ebony and onyx lampshades and lamp bases and patinaed bronze against this stonework which was really just beautiful and the dairy farm that had suffered the fire we just clad it all in flagstone brought in outdoor furniture lots of cushions strung lights from end to end and it became the party place where we would just kind of hang out and have margaritas and cook it was great it was really wonderful yeah
0: Okay. Well, I will say I'm surprised that it was. I saw the photos and thought for sure it was in Ireland or Scotland or, it. Upstate it was, New York. Yeah, <laughs> it's really beautiful. I everyone has to go look at your website and um and your portfolio to find it. You'll see it gorgeous, Adrian, in there, and you'll know exactly which one we're talking about because yes. it's yeah, it's really really magical. Yes. It's it looks like a movie set or something. I don't know. It looks it like a not a real place.
1: Funny story, though, um, he had two horses there, one named Tyson because his ear had been bitten off as a, you know, nod (laughs) to Mike Tyson biting off Evander Holyfield's ear. And I walked up to it and I was like, oh my God, the horse, I love horses. And then suddenly I was like, it <laughs> <laughs> was an invisible fence. Oh and I got my gosh. Oh. Off of this invisible fence. And I thought, how do you not have an invisible, how do you have an invisible fence and not tell people it's there? A sign, something. You know? So we all got a big laugh after that, after, you know, they, Hopefully they that's your. Me
0: hopefully that's your one and only workplace uh injury yeah electrocution oh, I'm, sure there yeah. Were,
1: I'm sure there was another yes the electrocution the electrocution yeah, the one yes. and only the one Oh and my only. gosh it you sound fun, like
2: though. um a renaissance woman when it comes to design honestly <laughs> mm-hmm. you know i mean honestly because you love interiors and you love architecture and you love you know, art and you're Teacups. designing
1: dinnerware and, and yes, fashion. I mean, and they all and fashion, go together, a lot they, of
2: fashion. Yeah. And yeah, even in the, a lot of your, you know, sort of still life laydowns on your site,
1: um, mm-hmm. what you're
2: showing, uh, I'm assuming that they're showing sort of moods of the room or that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Often you're integrating a beautiful shoe, um, or, you know, another uh, necklaces or other pieces of fashion. Um, I can't help a myself, bit. I
1: just can't right, help myself. Exactly, we're all obsessed with it, right?
2: Even when we're Absolutely. sitting at home working from home, we still want to look cute. So how how does that, how does fashion affect uh, your work product? Do, do you find that um, colors that are coming in and fashion work their way into your rooms or is it vice versa? Do, do you follow any kind of fashion trends when it's coming to home decor?
1: No, not really. I, I don't follow trends, but uh, I've always been interested in fashion. My mom made a lot of clothes. you know, she was a textile person, so I've always been surrounded by a great deal of, of uh, visual uh, stimulation within that respect. And I was torn at an early age about, uh, between being an interior designer, architect. Or a fashion designer. And so I, in high school at the art the high school of art and design, I was initially studying fashion and discovered architecture. Um, and so that's just always, to me, they've always gone hand in hand, always hand in hand. And so working with Ralph Lauren, I'm still doing interior design and architecture within a fashion house, right? So I'm constantly around fashion and within the lifestyle photo shoots and the placement of how the clothes are shown in a room and what that environment is like they're always you know an intertwining branch within one another uh and also within the building silos as well and Again, Armani, I made a very, very direct aim at working for another lifestyle brand. Again, because I just love that intertwining of fashion and design and architecture and being able to continue to be stimulated by both of them and then the presence of two things that I'm absolutely crazy about and one of the wonderful things about working at Giorgio Armani within the interior design uh, division is that I was able to use a lot of the textiles from previous collections in my projects so there might have been You know, this glorious textile that was a shirting or a lightweight uh, jacket uh, textile that I was able to turn into window treatments or use on cushions or, or something like that. And that just so excited me because I would be sent like bolts of textiles of sort of remnants and I would just lose my mind uh, and sit there, you know, like rubbing on them for days until I, you know, the perfect <laughs> project came along where I could, you know, take it home and take it home, you know, take it to the project and just sort of lay it out against the light just to see what it looked like and and use it on a home application.
0: Are, are there any, you know, I, there's upholstery weight fabric, which, you know, anyone in the industry would know, but are there things that you can and can't use, um, you know, that don't clothing. Yeah. Like that Mm -hmm. you can't, I imagine drapery, you know, you're not sitting on that every day. So maybe it's easier, but like, when could we You could we do that in our own homes?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have to really be respectful of the fabric. There's heavyweight fabric There's you know, that has, you know, 50,000 double rubs that's, you know, best for, Restaurant applications or whatever, but you know, you can also use those in your home on a buffet tape, you know, at a buffet or a breakfast nook where kids are playing and dropping, you know, grape juice. I love Krypton textiles because they're absolutely indestructible. They tend to be a heavier weight for upholstery, not necessarily for uh, window treatments, but there's a lot of stuff out there on the market. If something is a very, very lightweight, but you absolutely love it, have it back with something, you know, to give it some additional support. And if the backing isn't enough, you can always have it stitched, maybe channel stitched or something like that to give it a little bit extra structure uh, to make it applicable for your upholstery. And just make sure, you know, there aren't going to be dog claws or cat claws ripping it up. You know, I would tend to use that maybe in a master bedroom or something like that not in a family room if it's extremely delicate uh also you know you have to be very aware if anyone's going to be smoking in your home and the fibers are lightweight and tend to go up in flames quicker Um, so yeah if there's anything that you really truly truly love you can always send it out as well to be scotch guarded and backed for support. And that's, I think, the best way to do it. But you don't necessarily use a a fragile piece on something large. Maybe it's just a lumbar cushion that you put as a decorative element on your bed, you know, something like that. Or you use it to uh, drape before poster bed, which is always sexy. And we love sexy, don't we?
2: Yes, we do. Now do you find um regionally people are gravitating to certain types of style so you're talking about how you love a layered look but you also love a super minimal look do you find that west coast tastes differ from east coast tastes or anything like that or even european
1: oh europeans love 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 that layered look they love that sense of heritage and nobility and a sense of things being handed down with lineage and not letting it go. They you have know, a lot even, of it too, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even, if, even if it's new design, that's just sort of I think an acquired kind of style of things, you know. I even went to a house that had a spittoon once, you know. Really? Yeah, I mean something. Were they using they, it? No, of course not. Okay, they were good. using it for something else, of course. But I was like, oh, my God, that sounds like something some, from some noble, some noble structure with a moat, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, some things they just can't let go, you know. And if a relative who's no longer with us touched it once, sometimes it makes it even harder to let go. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, if you're in California, a lighter, beachier sort of environment is sort of the norm. Uh, Because that's kind of like light and flowy and how Californians like to live, Mm -hmm. right? Uh But uh, there are also properties in Europe and Asia where minimalism is, you know, the desired look as well. Mm
0: -hmm. What is Where does your style fall
1: for your own home? Well, you know, I, I tend to love, I go through phases where I love the minimalist look, which is kind of where I am right now. So it's like crazy, you know, decluttering and I'm giving a lot of things away and People are like, are you okay? I'm like, yes, I'm fine. I'm like, well, why are you giving away so many things? People tend to do that when they don't tend to be around long. I'm like, I'm just decluttering. They go, oh, yeah. thank God. So then Diet. what else do you have, you know? I just, <laughs> right? I just read Marie Kondo. I'm all good. Yeah, well, it's yeah, fine. Exactly. No, I Love don't have kicking. COVID. I'm just kind of making some space, you know? <laughs> so, uh, but then there are times, typically when the weather gets cooler, where I just want to just have... You know, blankets on the bed and nest and Mm -hmm. get really cozy with cable knit throws and blankets and lots of books and magazines and heavier drapery and that sort of thing. And when I come back from a trip, it's what I want. You know, Mm -hmm. if I if I go to. Milan, I want something that's a a very Milanese home. If I go to, you know, Portofino, I just want all this sort of ceramica that I can and pottery that I could put my hands on. So it's kind of schizophrenic. But, you know, your home is always your laboratory. And I'm very much influenced by my travels.
2: Sure. And it should be influenced by your passions, your current passions. I think Mm so. Yeah.
0: I'm curious, since you mentioned that um, many of your clients, especially the celebrity ones where they have multiple homes, are they, What especially once you've worked with them for a long time, do they just know exactly what their style is or are they kind of willing to, and they want to do it again and, and you really have honed in on it or because they're, maybe they're building a house in Montana, so they want to go in a totally different style direction. Like how well, are you getting to know their personality and are they doing it over and over again or are they sort of switching it up depending on where they're going?
1: They're pretty much staying in the same lane. Uh, When John did Montana, he wanted a very, very different look from his Soho apartment in New York. You know, you would never have the same sort of Armani furniture in Mm -hmm. Montana, right? Uh, But it was still a very comfortable home, Very, Mm -hmm. not contemporary, transitional, but very comfortable. It needed to be a place where he could put his feet up, where his guests could put their feet up, where the dog can run around and jump on anything in comfort and just be extremely relaxing. And then there's a uh, recording studio there as well, which has the same feeling as the main house. So they, they pretty much have a sense of who they are, uh, mm-hmm. already. And they're open to suggestions. Uh, it's got to be sexy, whatever it is, it's got to be sexy. Um, you know, uh, and they just kind of keep it moving from there. They really tell you, no, I don't like that. That that doesn't really happen very, very much. Um, they just kind of want to know what's new out there. They're often influenced maybe by a hotel they stayed in somewhere and say, mm-hmm. oh, I was... You know, I was in the south of France, and I stayed in a hotel that had this. Can we look at something like that? And if it works, you know, we'll do it. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't work, I'd say no, that's not going right. to work. But,
2: yeah. So not to name names or anything, and maybe it isn't even in a residence. Maybe it's in a commercial space. But what's the most kind of extravagant, over-the-top thing you've done?
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, well, we put a Bugatti. uh in the middle of a living room as an art piece uh, on one project. Uh, That's pretty extravagant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another project in London, we took a small structure that was used as storage and turned it into a tennis pavilion, which is really quite lovely with vintage um, rackets. And it became this elaborate um, lounge seating space, which is really quite, quite lovely um portofino we're doing some lovely lovely things moscow is very extravagant the finishes there are very extravagant
2: caroline do you remember when miles red told us he was hanging a ferrari from the ceiling of in one of his client's offices
1: wow that's interesting a life size one like a vintage yeah it it didn't have
0: car it didn't have you know an engine or any of those things but
1: okay that's but it just reminded me of... your. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, if you're hanging something from the ceiling, you better check those live loads and dead loads of the mm. ceiling structure to make sure it'll support it. Mm-hmm. You don't want a Ferrari calling Free hardware. <laughs> <laughs> or what's in the ceiling will end up on the floor. Mm-hmm. I- I'm sure Miles Ooh. knows exactly what he's doing. Yes. Hopefully. Yeah.
0: So, okay, I-, I wanted to get back to some of these... um you know, very clean lined uh, spaces that you've designed because um, I think it, that simplicity is sort of a misnomer because sometimes they're more complicated and more, you know, you re- like you really have to be on your game to have only a handful of items in the room and have it still look incredible. So give us, you know, like, what are the things that you're considering? How do you shop and style a room when the goal is for it to feel very simple?
1: Uh, number one, you use very few decorative objects. <laughs> you choose them wisely, you choose the scale of them uh, wisely uh, to maintain that everything is clean. I look for geometric shapes that are interesting. Uh, so everything isn't at a 90 degree angle. I like to use, you know, masculine and feminine in the space. So it doesn't feel restrictive of just having 90 degree angles. I like to use low level, uh, seating that's, uh, you know, 18 inches off the ground or 22 inches and has, you know, arms that are very structured, uh, Nothing with a lot of decorative carvings, that sort of thing, tends to be upholstery. Think, for example, as a object like a restoration hardware cloud sofa, you know, things like that, very minimalist objects, but beautiful woods, like maybe a Madagascar ebony coffee table that has a beautiful sheen to it against the contrast of a mohair or linen sofa and very few objects are on the coffee table. The walls are very very simple. Maybe they float off the floor, three quarters of an inch with a reveal. So there aren't a heavy, there there isn't a heavy baseboard that's chunky with a lot of profiles to it. That sort of thing. The door casing might be very uh, wide, say ten to twelve inches, and it's clad by maybe a contrasting uh, finish. Either it's lacquered wood or again, a beautiful uh, something that's polished, but it's just a wrap around of the opening. There isn't a heavy casement around the door. So you're sort of obliterating all these heavy architectural traditional details and you're just really doing things in a very crisp manner. And those simple things are harder than, you know, the heavy projects, the heavy handed projects. They truly, truly are.
2: I would imagine that the, the accessories, the scale of them might need to be larger. If, you're, if you have fewer of them and they're, and they're sort of serving a sculptural purpose.
1: It depends they... on the size of the room. Okay. You know, you really have to look at the entire envelope of the space and start from there in the selection of your furnishings and then the decorative elements. But it all has to relate to the scale of the room. Now, it's nice to mix things up, but you really do have to take into account the scale of the room when selecting the uh, decorative elements, it's always nice to have something really, really big. So maybe it is the most dramatic of Mexican urns or something Mm -hmm. that's on a pedestal that's raised high. So everything isn't low. Your eye has movement about the room Mm -hmm. to keep it interesting. So you don't feel like you just, you've walked into an Amazon Prime box with nothing else in it. You know, it's, it's got to feel sexy, but your eye must travel so that the sight lines change. Mm-hmm. I, I wish think, you guys
2: anyway. could see Joy right now acting this out like her body is going <laughs>
1: down and <laughs> your arms. And you got to swoon. That's right. You have to swoon. It's got to make you swoon.
2: <laughs> I love
1: it. Sexy, swoon-worthy. It's got to be swoon-worthy, yes. <laughs> I'm jealous. I get very excited when I'm with my clients and uh, one of them, Pia Getty, I used to drive her kind of nuts until she started to really understand me because we would go (laughs) shopping in London somewhere and I just break out into this dance and she would say, my God, what is that? I said, it's my happy dance. You know, we would find something and I would just start swooning and she just thought I was mad. But then of course, at some point, I started seeing her moving and, you know, British people tend to be a little bit more refined and then she would start <laughs> to move. And I would say, what's that? she said, oh, it's my happy dance. So <laughs> I would up. get really excited when a client started to understand that, you know, it's okay to show that you love something. It's part of <laughs> the process.
2: And you should love the things and in you your should. house. And you should. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: And you should love what you do. It should make you dance. True.
0: Okay. This is my last question. Not really because I do have so many more, but at some point we have to give you back your day and you have to get back Mm -hmm. to your amazing clients. But okay. If you could have one, if you could just sort of take over one client project that you've worked on and that'd Mm -hmm. be your home and you could just sort of
1: take it right Mm -hmm. out from under them. Move in. Whose house would you move it to? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Let's see. <laughs> Only one. I think right now it's the Portofino, Italy project that I'm working mm. on. It's got the most glorious seaside views, and it's the elevation is high, and you just see these beautiful yachts in the distance and the water, and this this beautiful pathway with the most incredible foliage. And there's this structure where I'm, I'm turning it into – a yoga studio where the doors just open to the seaside. And the kitchen is just phenomenal. And I'm already seeing the amazing meals that are going to come out of that beautiful kitchen where the doors open up to a garden. And the sunlight is just phenomenal. And just the approach to the house itself is just... Ah, Calgon, take me away and leave me here. Oh <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I <laughs> mean, oh. it's hard to beat Italy. Yeah. That's it's true. Hard and Portofino. To beat Italy. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, hard to beat Italy. Oh, yes.
2: I miss mm-hmm. Italy. Mm-hmm.
1: I, miss I miss traveling. Tra- I miss Ristorante Puni. I can't wait to go back.
2: <laughs> Taryn has been struggling. She's been texting us on the side. She's so frustrated. She's like, I'm finally going to hear about Leo and my wi fis not working.
1: <laughs> ah, he's great, though. He's great. We had so much fun together. Uh, one day, I was so, so sick at the office. And I thought, oh, my God, if I could just make it through this day, let me just get one thing done. And I really have to go home. And it was like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Then my phone rings. And it's like, Joy, are you there? I'm like, yeah, I'm here. Oh, great, because Leo's on his way. And I go, Leo, yeah, Leo oh. DiCaprio, he's on your way to the office. And I said, Now, can he come tomorrow? And she says, No, he's in the car. He'll be there in 10 minutes. So he walks in, of course, with like 15 women, you know, with their faces piled up to the glass. And he's there <laughs> for about Two hours.
0: Oh, wait. He didn't bring these women. They were just... No, no, no. This is my... They were just watching. Okay, okay. I thought you meant he brought 15 women. No,
1: heavens no. Heavens no. (laughs) He'd never do that. And so he walks in, and there are 15 women with their faces applied to the glass and he walks in and he ends up being there for two hours and the whole time I'm like I'm gonna throw up I'm gonna throw up and so but we had this amazing productive meeting and he says Joy come on come down with us to the apartment and I'm like no not Thank today you. we end up spending like four hours at the apartment as he's getting ready for the Shutter Island premiere and I'm like okay they're gonna go to the premiere Okay, then I can go home. Then he mm. says, well, you're going with us, aren't you? And I'm like, I guess so. And it was raining that day and I've got my big LL Bean bag with my rubber boots in it, you know, and he's like, <laughs> come on, get in the car with me. Mm-hmm. And it ended up being a long day. And that's when I knew I could live through anything. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're a
2: trooper. But I mean, that is on. fun. You got to go to
1: it the was. Pretty it was that's fun. pretty cool. Yeah. And then at one point I looked over, I was like, oh, that's right. This is Leo. Let me behave. You know, (laughs) we had a good time. I love it.
0: That's amazing. I could seriously listen to these stories all day. Hello, ladies. I feel like usually you begin your decorating dilemma segment by saying how cute the person's room is. And I have to warn you that this is a case where that does not apply. We are a military family living in North Dakota and bought a house we could afford that I like to call the beige cave. It seems that everything in this house is either dark brown or beige. We've debated painting the kitchen cabinets and trim on the upper level white, but then we would have to replace all the doors to white, right? And we're not sure how much money we want to invest in this home. I have always hated the backsplash as well. We are waiting on a light gray sectional for the living room, and I was thinking it would go in the corner between the windows. My husband hates my giant brown Craigslist chair, but it's all we've got right now. Here's the thing. I'm lost, y'all. I I want to make the beige cave better, but I'm so design-challenged and I don't know where to start. Then get overwhelmed with the possibilities slash work it would take. Please dismiss the scattered toys. Any advice will help. Thank you so much. Love the podcast. It has helped me through many a lonely deployment night. Love from North Dakota,
1: Casey. Having looked at the images, uh, I agree. I think one of the quick fixes for lighting up the beige cave would be to definitely put some artwork on the walls and create other focal points within the space as the only thing really happening right now are lots of toys and things laying about. So I think the space needs some greater focal points and they should be colorful graphics and there are easy places, affordable places to procure some nice colorful uh, artwork like Etsy, minted, Wayfair, Ballard, you know, those sorts of places for some nice quick fixes. Uh, Also definitely uh, some colorful area rugs so you don't see this entire massing of dark wood flooring throughout the home. And very important with respect to the kitchen, definitely paint the uppers a much lighter color, even if it's a soft blue, you know, a soft blue gray color to sort of break the beige monotony of the residence. And my fourth comment is that the heavy blue curtains look really sort of massive in the space. So perhaps a lighter weight uh, printed uh, window treatment would help soften that and create a break from all the beige, but again, create another focal point uh, in in the living room space. A more translucent textile instead of the solid blue Uh, window treatment that's there. I think that looks very heavy at the window. Of course... uh, Does it need to be a light color, too? I I think a lighter color uh, and something that's printed would create a softness to the space and break the beige monotony. But I think that dark blue is very heavy for the room.
0: What about the actual wall color? I mean, I kind of get what she's saying. Like It's
1: I would definitely paint it. Yeah, Yeah. maybe a soft blue, soft blue, celadon, something of that nature. I wouldn't go pink or peach or dark green, but something soft, I think, would would help to continue in the lighting up of the space.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Something that would work well with the kitchen cabinetry. So the kitchen cabinetry, I think, would be the first place to start. Then go to the wall, window treatment, rug, Mm -hmm. and some decorative... Toss cushions on that uh, sofa.
2: I hadn't thought about it, but that does make sense. Like pattern drapery and some rugs, you know, adding pattern in there will distract you from all of that solid brownness. Right. Never, (laughs) never even occurred to me before, but that's really brilliant. And
1: then (laughs) if there's money in the kitty, I would look at lightening up the wood that's on the uh, railings as well, which looks very dark what what is happening with that rail and the dark floor is it separating the room into two spaces light and dark Mm -hmm. you know so i think that railing would be a way to sort of bridge the two you know the top half and the lower portion
0: so what color should would she paint the railing would she paint it the same
1: color as the wall would she paint it white Uh, either either one wall color or white white would probably be easier Uh, because if she changes the wall, then she won't have to paint the railing as well to match.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, the paint would be the more, seems like it would be the most affordable option because it's not very expensive, Mm -hmm. but it might be the most labor-intensive option. So it kind of just depends on, you know, do you want to buy some art that you're going to take to the next place that maybe would be a little bit more expensive or do you want to put in some sweat equity and that you obviously aren't going to take with you,
1: but yeah. Or prioritize your list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Paint is always the cheapest fix you can ever have because if you don't like it, you could do it again. Um, uh, mm-hmm. so that's, that's where I would start. Yeah. Yeah. The walls and the cabinets.
0: hmm. Yep. Good advice. Yes. Agreed. And I actually, I kind of like this, um, crazy patterned, what rug, um, that she has in the living area, it's kind of fun, but it's, you know, you, you kind of don't necessarily, like you said, there's so much contrast everywhere else in the room that you don't, you almost don't see it, I guess.
2: Um, But there are some pretty colors in that rug she Mm can work with. Like you're saying the celadons and things. Cool. Thank you. Fix that problem. Easy peasy. Yeah.
0: Easy peasy. (laughs) (laughs) Swooning. Doing a little happy dance. Keeping it sexy.
2: Mm-hmm. Joy, it was so nice to meet you.
1: Oh my gosh. And you guys as well, you ladies as well. Taryn missed you. We're
0: we'll make her actually listen to the episode. I think I'm How the only one that listens. Taryn. Everyone else just lives it. So she'll have <laughs> to actually listen next well, time.
1: It'll be my pleasure to share it as well. I look oh, forward to you. it. And thank you guys again. I so appreciate it. And I will definitely be supporting. Ballad more. I really, really well, because again, I just really am appreciative of the commitment that you've made. A lot of people Thank talk you. about things. And then there are people like you guys who put your money where your mouth is, which is everything. So um I, I really, I, I don't know why I take it personally, but I don't take it lightly.
0: Well, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed going through your portfolio and just familiarizing myself with your work. It, you're, I don't know, you just blew Super me away. Star. So Super yes, yeah. I really,
1: it was amazing. I'm just a girl who works for a living like everybody else.
0: <laughs> well, you do a lot with the talent that you have. So <laughs> thank you for sharing it with thank us today.
1: You. Thank you so much. I so appreciate it. My pleasure.
0: Can you can you tell everyone where they can find your work, your Instagram?
1: All that my good stuff. Instagram, my Twitter uh, are both at Joy Moeller Interiors. My website is www.joymoellerinteriors.com.
0: Look how you easy. Yes. Branding. Me, or you
1: can find me at the International Airport at Kennedy <laughs> Airport or Heathrow, <laughs> which is where I typically spend a lot of my time.
0: <laughs> well hopefully we will see
1: you there yes yes hopefully hopefully
0: thank you so much we really enjoyed it thank you all right that's our show thank you so much for listening you can leave us a review in your podcast app we would love to read it and of course subscribe to the show so it downloads straight to your phone the show notes for each episode are at howtodecorate.com slash podcast and follow us on social media and The How to Decorate podcast is now a skill on your Alexa. That's right. So you can just ask Alexa to play the How to Decorate podcast after you go and
2: enable it under the skills on Amazon.com.
0: Yes. Super easy. Super easy. Tell Alexa to play the How to Decorate podcast and your life will be so much happier. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Happy happy decorating. decorating.